So this morning is um, week one of our latest series of big questions about Christianity and Christian faith. And I thought that over the next couple of weeks we would have another look at the Bible. Not such a radical idea, you may say. After all, this is a church. But I hope that over the next couple of weeks we can start to think about the Bible in some ways that we may never have thought about it before. Ways that will inspire us afresh in how we relate to it. Now you would think that for people like us who mostly identify ourselves as Christians, for most of us you would think that the Bible would be really important in our daily lives because it's one of the main ways in which God speaks to us. But a recent uh, opinion poll for the Church of England found that three quarters of people who identified as Christians either never read the Bible or read it only once or twice a year. Now, all opinion polls have to be taken with a a pinch of salt. Uh, They all have their limitations. Uh, For example, in that same survey, when people were asked the question, do you read the Bible?, apparently 4% said that they didn't know whether they read the Bible. (laughs) Can you imagine saying to someone, do you read the Bible? And them saying, that's a really good question. I don't know whether I read the Bible. You would think that they would know that, wouldn't you? Now, the survey didn't ask people why they don't read it very much, but maybe one reason is because they find it difficult to know where to start. I mean, we talk about the Bible as a book, don't we? But actually, it's a whole collection of books, 66 of them, in fact. So it's more like a library written by lots of different authors over a very long period of time. And, of course, it's also very long, It's about 800,000 words, which is about 10 PhDs. When I was doing my PhD, I had enough trouble keeping track of one in my head without trying to keep track of 10 of them at the same time. And the Bible is also over 3 million characters. And that's about 100,000 average tweets, which even for Donald Trump would last him 25 years at his current rate. And the Bible's very old. Some of it was written three and a half thousand years ago in a totally different world, when in this country we were still moving from the Stone Age into the Bronze Age. Now, just in case you're wondering, this is not a picture of modern-day Quainton. (laughs) Similarities to the contrary notwithstanding. Another problem we find when we open the Bible is that it's a whole bunch of different kinds of literature, or genres. That's the technical word for it, genres. And if you go into a bookshop or a library, what you find is all of the books are arranged according to genre or type. History, fiction, adventure, romance, mystery, music, poetry, philosophy, religion, and so on. But the Bible seems to mix all of these up. Another problem is that writers in the ancient world didn't follow 21st century rules. In other words, they didn't write then the way that we do now, which is really very thoughtless of them, isn't it? They 
also had categories of literature that we simply don't have. And they used lots of stories to explain things and teach things. They used lots of picture language where we nowadays would use facts and figures. One of the reasons that they did that was because most people then couldn't read or write. So what they wrote wasn't written to be read, it was written to be listened to together. People didn't have their own personal copies like we do now. So they used lots of these stories and lots of pictures because that was so much easier to remember and to pass on. When we approach the Bible today to try to learn from it, we assume that the questions that matter to us in our world, living as we do in an age of science, that these must be the questions that matter to them in their world. So we approach the text looking for answers to what interests us, rather than the answers to the questions that interested them. So a classic example of that would be in the creation account in the book of Genesis. When we read Genesis, in our age of science, we're looking for it to tell us how the world was made. We're looking for clues about the manufacturing process. But in the ancient world, they weren't in the least interested in how it was made. They were interested in why it was made and who made it and why they made it, and why the world is the way that it is, and how that affects them and who they are, and what it meant for their lives today. So no wonder people nowadays find it hard to make sense of Genesis, because we're looking for answers to questions that they weren't asking. And we all know that the greatest answer in the world is no use to anyone, if it's answering a different question. It's a bit like aliens from Mars orbiting the Earth and tuning in to Dad's army and assuming that it must be a Second World War documentary or watching some reality TV and assuming that it's got something to do with reality. And then the other problem with trying to read the story of the Bible is lots of it simply doesn't read like a story. Just when you've been reading a bit of it that seems to be making some sense, suddenly you come to the end of that bit and you're on to another bit. And you're trying to figure out how this bit relates to that previous bit and to the next bit that follows. So, for example, as soon as we're done reading Genesis and Exodus, suddenly we hit Leviticus, which is a whole book of rules and laws and commandments. And then it goes back to the story again. And then in the middle of the Old Testament, all of a sudden, it stops again. And then we get a book called Proverbs, which is basically philosophy. And then straight after that, there's the book of Psalms, which is song lyrics and poems, 150 of them. And then finally, of course, we've got these two parts to the Bible, haven't we? We've got this Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And the story of Jesus only starts in the New Testament. So the first three quarters of the whole thing basically doesn't even feature Jesus at all. Try explaining that to your friends. So that's a bit of a long introduction to set the scene to what I'd like to try and talk about over the next couple of weeks. 
which is to help us understand the story of the Bible and how, despite some of the things I've just been saying, it is actually one single story and it is understandable. I want to explain why that first part is there as well as the second part, why God has given it to us in the way that it is and how we can relate our story to the Bible story and how we can find ourselves in its pages. I want to suggest a nice, easy way of thinking about the Bible story that will help us explain what it's all about to our friends and to help us to know whatever bit of the Bible we're reading, how that fits, how that's located within the big picture. Now, all of us have got a story of our life, haven't we? And I'd like us just to take a moment to think about that, to think about some of the things and some of the events in our personal story. Now, you don't have to do this, but you might like to just close your eyes for a moment to help you to visualise some of the things that I'll be saying. I wonder what's the first thing that you can remember from when you were a child, an early memory. Just picture that for a moment. You can probably remember mum or dad telling you stuff that happened before that. Stories maybe from when you were a baby or a toddler. Maybe they showed you some photos that helped you picture what it was like. They maybe told you some stories about their childhood and their mum and dad, and maybe about your family history. Maybe that family history was really important to them and they could go back a long way. Or maybe, like me, you don't really know anything much before your grandparents' time. For many of us, it's really important to know who we are. And part of who we are is where we came from and who came before us. Can you remember a time in your life when you really succeeded at something? Maybe you won something or you passed something. Can you picture a time in life when everything was really happy? And now can you picture a time when life was pretty bad? Maybe when you did something that was pretty bad, that you still feel bad about now and you still feel ashamed of when you think about it. And of course, our story isn't just about me as an individual. No one is an island. We're part of a, an immediate family and a wider family and different groups outside of that family. And they all have stories as well. We're all part of each other's stories. And good and bad things happen to them too. When you feel their pain and they feel your pain. And then finally, what's, what's going on in your life right now? Maybe you're happy. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you're fearful for yourself or your family or even the future of our nation. What's uppermost in your mind, in your story right now? Okay, you can open your eyes. Now the reason that I asked us to do that is because 
whilst the Bible is many other things as well, primarily the Bible is a book about people and their stories, just like ours, just like the stories that we have been visualising as I was speaking. The Bible is full of people who thought those thoughts and had those experiences, people who felt like we feel, people with a past who their parents told them about, people who also wanted to know who they were and where they'd come from and where they were going, people who had all the same kinds of experience that we have had, happy times, sad times, times of success and times of failure. Times that they did good things and times when they did bad things. Things that they too were ashamed of. So when we read their stories in the Bible, it's as if we're looking at ourselves in a mirror. We see ourselves reflected. And this is one of the reasons that God has given it to us. But of course the Bible is not just the story of people. It's also the story of God. And what we see is these stories of people intertwined throughout the Bible with the story of God. They're stories of not just people, but people experiencing God in their stories and in their family's stories. All of the things that happened to them when God was there with them and also when he didn't seem to be there with them. Stories about how people understood God and also at times, how they misunderstood God. The Bible is the story of people grappling with who God is and what he's like and how they can know him and what his plans are and his purposes are for them and for this world. And as we read it, the Bible is inviting us into their stories and inviting us to second-guess their stories as well, to ask ourselves, how would I have responded in that story? Which of the characters would have been me in that story? What does this story tell me about who God was for them? And what can I learn from that about who God will be for me in what's happening in my life right now? The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said this, when we read the Bible... We must be continuously saying to ourselves, it's talking to me and it's talking about me. It's talking to me and it's also talking about me. Now one of the biggest things about the Bible that many people don't realise is that most of it is not commandments and instructions. God telling people what to do. In fact, 75% of it is narrative, or as we would say, stories and drama. 15% is various kinds of poetry and song, and only 10% is what's called propositional. In other words, facts about God and instructions. Which kind of begs the question, doesn't it? If 90% of the Bible is stories and drama and poetry and songs, how do those teach us? What are we supposed to learn and how are we supposed to learn it about the ways of God from that's those stories and drama and so on? 
Now, don't misunderstand me on this point, because the propositional stuff that is there is very important. For example, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love one another as I have loved you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All of these propositions are really, really important, so in no sense should we downplay them. They're very important for our lives. But even those instructions and commandments, even these propositions, they all come within a context in which they were said. So we need to know how to distinguish between a commandment that was given to the Israelites in Leviticus and one that Jesus gave us. We need to know how all of those commandments and all of those instructions relate to us in our world today. How we know from Scripture what God is saying to us now about things that the biblical writers never came across, things that they never experienced. Okay, hold that thought. So now we need to just change tack for a moment. I said that the first thing about the Bible is that it's the story of people like us. And that the second thing is that it's also the story of God. And that, of course, takes the Bible to a whole new level. It separates it from every other piece of literature that's ever been written. It takes it to a different dimension. So let me explain how we understand this book, the Bible, to be the Word of God. How God interacted with the human writers in giving it to us. How, whilst the Bible still retains all of its humanity, and it's still the story of people, how it becomes something which we can also say is divinely authored by God. And the answer to that is explained in a very short and simple verse in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says this, All scripture is inspired by God. Uh, Scripture is just another word for the Bible, by the way. All scripture is inspired by God. But inspired in this context doesn't just mean the way that we tend to use that word today. When we're talking about a clever idea or something that someone's done that is very creative. What the word literally means here is breathed into. That's what the word inspired originally meant. And that's why some of the more recent translations, like the NIV, say it like this. All scripture is God-breathed. So what we mean when we say that God inspired the Bible is that God breathed into it, that he filled it with his presence, that he filled it with himself, and that by doing so he gave it a shape that it never would have had if he hadn't done that, like a balloon, which, if you breathe into it, and God be with me at this moment, if you breathe into it, completely changes its shape. From what it would have been if you hadn't, to what it becomes because you have. 
You should have been in the first service. It was a lot messier than that. (laughs) Because that balloon has now been inspired. It's taken on a shape that it never would have had if God had not breathed into it in that way. And because God breathed into it then, because he is a living God now, because his presence fills its pages, God can breathe out of Scripture into us now as well into us and into our lives when we engage with it and we bring it into our situations. So to flip round the other way, what Soren Kierkegaard said, it's not just talking about me, it's also talking to me. And then, of course, the Bible is also the word of God in some other important ways as well. One of the things about God is that he's timeless. He's outside of time. He's not restricted by time in the way that we are. So he knows everything about the past and he knows everything that possibly can be known about the future. So when he says that something is going to happen, this is what I'm going to do, this is what the future holds, then we can be darn sure that he knows what he's talking about and that he's going to deliver on what he said. We also see intertwined with these stories of people the story of our world, the big picture from God's point of view. Now on the surface, the stories in the Bible are mostly about one nation, one family, one group of people, the Israelites. But because the God of Israel is also the God of the whole world, God of everyone and everything. The Bible is also the story of all of us. It's the story of the whole human race. And we'll see next week how that works out. Because the Bible is this story of people and the story of God, we see God sharing glimpses and insights and promises with these people that he's involved with. So we see in its pages uh, what we might call prophetic pictures of what God is going to do in the future and what our future is going to look like if we want to be part of it. Now he didn't share everything with everybody all of the time. He limited it to people he could trust, people who would hear it right and write it down right so that it's completely reliable and trustworthy when it gets to us. And a lot of what he's given us in the Bible, he decided should come through these stories and this picture language that we talked about earlier. And I think the reason for that is because they rightly say a picture is worth a thousand words, don't they? And that's especially true if you are God and you want to make sure that ancient literature from thousands of years ago is still going to make sense and still be relevant to people thousands of years later. Which it will. It will make sense, provided that we're asking it the right questions. And we don't assume that it's always answering the questions that we would necessarily like it to in the way that we today would expect it to. So time is almost up for this week. Let me just paint a a picture of what we're going to look at next week. We're going to look at the Bible from 
40,000 feet, as it were. The big picture from start to finish. We're going to look at it as one big story. We're going to see how it all hangs together as one story. One that goes back to the very beginning of time and looks forward to the very end of time. A story which has a beginning and an end. And it's a story that we ourselves are included in if we want to be. It's a story that runs parallel to all of our stories, every single one of us. It's a story that invites us into it. Do you want to be part of God's story? Do you want to bring your story into his story? Do you want to invite him to bring his story into your story? And have him fill your story with uh, his presence and his breath in the same way that he did with the biblical story. And he can do that right now. He can do that this morning. There's no qualifying period. There's no need to wait for the end of the series. He can do that for every single one of us, wherever our story is at right now. He can transform our story by breathing in his presence. Because when the almighty and supernatural God comes into anything, it's never going to be the same again. And nor, of course, will we be. Maybe that balloon, as it started out this morning, is a picture of where your life is at right now. Kind of empty of the presence of God. Well, he can fill it this morning. He would love to fill it this morning because there is a space in all of our lives which is God-shaped. But we need to ask him. He won't push in or make us do anything that we don't want to. We have to ask. That's how it works, isn't it? So have a little think about that, because we'll have an opportunity for anyone who would like to to be prayed for in a few moments' time. So next week, we're going to put a bit more shape on this biblical story. And we're going to explain the whole thing by looking at it as a box set. The Bible story box set, seasons one to three. So season one is what we call the Old Testament. Season two is what we call the New Testament. And season three is the one that's on our screens right now. Season three is happening at the moment. Next week, we're going to see that Genesis and the creation story is kind of like the pilot episode for the whole thing, which sets the scene and introduces all the main characters and all the main themes that we're going to see recurring throughout the pages of the Bible. We're going to look at the creation story, the way that the original author and the original audience would have seen it. We're going to try and look at it through their eyes instead of our 21st century eyes. And we're going to see as we go through how there is a continuity throughout that story as season one kicks things off and then season two carries it forward. We're going to see some unexpected twists and turns in the plot, some triumphs and some disasters, some successes and some failures. And mostly we'll see that those are because God, in his infinite wisdom, decided to work with ordinary flawed people like us. 
And then finally, we'll see how we're all invited to be part of season three, which we are in right now. We'll see how we can be in this story of God and how God can be in our story. We'll see how God already knows how season three is going to end because, of course, he wrote the script and how he's already shared some glimpses of that with us when he invited us to be in the cast. Andy, if you're around somewhere, would like to come and join me? Thanks. And the idea is that once we've grasped how all this fits together, this plot, these characters, the twists and turns, how it all started, how it's all going to end, that whenever we then read the Bible, whatever bit of it we're reading, wherever in the Bible it happens to come from, we'll then be able to locate it within the overall big story. We'll know which episode from which season is where we should hang this piece that we're reading. So next week I'm going to explain how to understand Genesis, how to understand why we have an Old Testament as well as a New Testament, how Israel fits in the story, how Jesus fits in the story, how Jesus is the high point, the very centre of the story, and then finally, how to understand the book of Revelation that the story finishes with. So, no pressure there then. Just your average, ordinary, everyday sermon. So tune in next week to find out more about our Bible story box set. <laughs>